Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you, our late night show. Are you kidding me? Where else would you rather be from 10 o'clock to midnight on a Tuesday then right here on Hacker After Dark. We have a ton to get into over the next two hours. I'm in a pretty good mood because I just saw the Orlando Magic squander a fourth quarter lead and lose to the New York Knicks. Just a shot to the solar plexus. And now I get to talk sports for the next two hours. So I am very excited for this opportunity to kind of air the grievances. I'll do that a little later. It's tough being an Orlando Magic fan. It really is. I know the arrow's pointing up. It's a young team. They're getting better. It's going to take some time. But that team has just been awful for the last 12, 13 years. And if I had it to do over again back in, what would that have been? I guess December of 1989 or January of 1990 when my uncle took me to the Orlando Arena to see Nick Anderson and Dennis Scott and Anthony Bowie and Scott Skiles and the original Orlando Magic, if I knew the heartache that I was going to have with that franchise for the next 33 years, I probably would have said thanks, but no thanks. But I guess that's what makes a sports fan, right? It's what um, makes the victories that much sweeter is going through, well, almost a decade of ineptitude as I have with the Orlando Magic. Although you could have said the same thing about the Jaguars, right? And the Jaguars have turned the corner, it looks like. Coming up here this offseason, Trevor Lawrence made the rounds today uh, with the NFL media. We will play you a couple of his comments to some of the NFL folks around the country. We will talk a little NBA. The trade deadline is Thursday. My man RJ Saunders, formerly of 1010XL, you hear him now on 97.5, out there in Houston, Texas. RJ will join us in hour number two. We'll look at the D'Amico Ryans hire by the Texans. What is Houston thinking with the number two pick in the draft? And we will talk a little NBA. Kyrie Irving to the Dallas Mavericks, a big deal that happened over the weekend. Coming up uh, about an hour or so from now, Brent Beard. A lot of college football news. Miami out a couple of coordinators, although they have recently made a brand new defensive coordinator hire they had to do that because Kevin Steele leaves Miami to go back to Alabama Miami also joins Florida in the ranks of having a high profile recruit one out of his letter of intent Florida is not the only school now that has to release players who want out after signing national letters of intent you get the feeling this is just the tip of the iceberg with this situation. So much more college talk with Brent Beard coming up in about an hour and in about 20 minutes, Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com. He's out there in Arizona getting ready for Super Bowl 57. We'll talk Chiefs. We'll talk Eagles with Jeff Kerr, National Football League writer, CBSSports.com, coming up 
20 minutes from now. But as we always do, to kick it off on Hacker After Dark, we have a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, so ESPN.com today does what they normally do this time of year. They redraft the previous year's draft. Knowing now what we did not know in April, if the 2022 draft were held again today, how would that draft look? And it's an interesting exercise in that for the Jaguars, they had two first-round picks last year, Trayvon Walker and Devin Lloyd. More on them in a moment. But how does ESPN.com, the football writers there, feel about Trayvon Walker and about Devin Lloyd? You'll find out momentarily. But in this 2022 redraft, the Jaguars would still pick number one in this hypothetical. They do not go Trayvon Walker. They do not go Aiden Hutchinson. ESPN.com says the best rookie last year, Sauce Gardner the corner for the New York football Jets. I don't know about that. Sauce Gardner definitely had a better rookie year than Trayvon Walker. But if I'm redrafting, I would take Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, Look, I'm not one to pat myself on the back. Denmark, I'm not sure if we have audio evidence of this. I'm sure we do. But I know you were here for all those shows in April. Was I not an Aiden Hutchinson guy going up to the draft? Yeah, so much so we had the Michigan play-by-play guy on. That's right, we did. That's exactly right. Good memory. Now, look, I'm happy with Trayvon Walker. I think Trayvon Walker is going to be a good football player. But if I had to do over again, if I had to redraft for the Jaguars, yeah, I'm probably taking Aiden Hutchinson. But Sauce Gardner, number one. Aiden Hutchinson remains at two. Tariq Wooten goes to three. Wooten's a guy we rarely talk about. (laughs) because he doesn't play anywhere near here, but he's a good football player. The Jets would go Brock Purdy at number four? Wow. I don't know about that. Now, keep in mind, Sauce Gardner would be off the board in this scenario. Was Brock Purdy one of the top five rookies in the NFL? Don't know about that one. Thibodeau stays at five to the Giants. Tyler Smith moves up to six to Carolina. Remember, they took a Quanu from NC State. I agree, Tyler Smith was better. The Giants, instead of taking Evan Neal at seven, would take Garrett Wilson. The Falcons would stick with Drake London. Seattle would stick with Charles Cross. And Christian Watson would go number 10 to the New York Jets. In case you're wondering about Trayvon Walker, ESPN.com has Trayvon Walker number 15 to Philadelphia. Is Trayvon Walker just barely in the top 15 of rookies in the NFL this year? I don't know. His numbers weren't great. We'll get to those in a moment. But I, again, I, I don't hate the Trayvon Walker pick. In fact, I don't even dislike the Trayvon Walker pick. I agree you would have liked him to have better numbers, 
But I do think a lot of what Trayvon Walker did doesn't necessarily show up in the stat sheet. Drawing holding penalties. Forcing guys back inside to where fumbles occur. I think that the Aluakan fumble recovery, or the fumble, the punch-out fumble where he kicked the ball, I think that was a direct result of Trayvon Walker forcing the guy back inside. A couple of strip sacks by the quarterback did not go to Walker, but he was the reason the sack occurred. Again, you don't get credit for that on the stat sheet, but you were the direct result as to why something like that happened. By the way, number 27, the um, Devin Lloyd went there for Jacksonville last year. They got Jamari Salaire, the tackle from Georgia. I'm trying to find Devin Lloyd on here. Okay, Devin Lloyd goes 32 to the Detroit Lions. So, the Jaguars go Sauce Gardner, and at 27, Devin Lloyd falls out of there, falls to 32. By the way, Luke Fortner, ESPN.com gives the Jaguars a ton of credit there. They got Luke Fortner moving up from pick 65, where he was picked, to pick 33. Now, what does all this mean? Let's take a look back at the Jaguar rookie class this past year. And what's interesting about this, and when we're in the heat of the moment, the heat of the season, it really didn't stand out. Only four rookies really did anything. Four. That was it. You obviously had Walker, you had Lloyd, you had Fortner, you had Muma. Snoop Connor very, very sparingly. You saw basically nothing of Monteric Brown or Gregory Jr. Special teams, I guess. You essentially had a four-person rookie class. That's not good. All right? I'm not going to sugarcoat that. That's not good. But if you look at the pure numbers for the Jacksonville Jaguars this year, it all starts with Trayvon Walker, and it all starts with Devin Lloyd. So Trayvon Walker this year, again, was he great? No, he was far from great. But I don't think he was as bad as some made him out to be. Aiden Hutchinson beat him in the numbers. There's no denying that. Aiden Hutchinson had a terrific rookie year in Detroit. That's the reality of the situation. And because Aiden Hutchinson put up such great numbers, it makes Trayvon Walker look like he struggled his rookie season. Did he struggle? Well, that's for you to decide. If you go to quarterback sacks for the Jacksonville Jaguars, your team leader, Josh Allen, was seven. Dewan Smoot, five. Arden Key, four and a half. And there's Trayvon Walker at three and a half sacks. 49 tackles. Trayvon Walker, five tackles for loss. <clears throat> you would have liked to see more out of your number one pick in the draft. I'm not going to flunk Trayvon Walker for his rookie season. I'll give him a C, C minus. I'd certainly like to see more out of Trayvon Walker moving forward. Now you get to Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd, 115 tackles. None of those tackles, by the way, were tackles for loss. 59 solo tackles. He started 15 of 17 football games in the regular season. 
The issue with Devin Lloyd is that he started out strong and he regressed. And you don't like to see that with rookies. It's supposed to be opposite. It's supposed to be you start down here and as the season keeps going, you get better and better and better. Lloyd went opposite. The first month, people were talking about Devin Lloyd as potentially the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. By Halloween, that talk was completely gone. Now, Lloyd had a roller coaster rookie year. Started out good, regressed, and then I would say came back up a little bit towards the end. I thought Lloyd was a better player New Year's Eve than he was on Thanksgiving. Clearly, his best football was played in September. But I do think he maybe salvaged a little bit towards the end of the year. Chad Muma. Again, I don't know how much you were expecting from a third-round pick. Muma got in there, 47 tackles. He actually had a sack and a half. He saw some significant playing time in the last six weeks of the year because he got in there over Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd essentially got benched and had to watch Chad Muma play his position. It's going to be very interesting moving forward. Lloyd's not going anywhere. Chad Muma's not going anywhere. How will that work itself out? Is it possible to get both of those guys on the field together with Foyer Luke and moving forward? That would be the ideal scenario. Can it happen? We'll see. And then finally, Luke Fortner. Now, there's no stat to measure how good Luke Fortner is. I didn't watch all 17 games and hone in on the center for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But what I do know is this. The 65th pick in the draft started 19 games as a center in the National Football League. He's doing something right. Started every game, was durable. Luke Fortner for a third-round pick, A+. plus, A+. Plus. Anytime you pick a guy in round three and they start for you for day one and they start 19 football games their rookie year, you cannot ask for anything more than Luke Fortner gave you. So Trayvon Walker, I give a C. Devin Lloyd, look, the guy got benched. It's hard not to give him probably a D at this point. But I still think there's a lot of potential there. Chad Moomin gets a passing grade. You got a lot of production out of a third-round pick. And then Fortner, to me, is an A+. But the jury is still out. I just found it interesting that, again, only four rookies really to analyze in the rookie class. That, to me, is probably not a good thing, but it goes to show you how much they did in free agency and how much they did in previous drafts. I mean, you look at the second-year guys from Lawrence to ETN to Tyson Campbell to Walker Little to Andre Sisco. All of those guys played huge roles. So the Jaguars are a very young football team. Just interesting to me that really only four guys were in the rookie class. One of those second-year guys is Trevor Lawrence. Boy, Lawrence made the rounds today with the national media. Today was like Trevor Lawrence Day on all the big networks out there in Arizona. Zach Gelb hosts CBS Sports Radio nationally. He talked to Trevor Lawrence, the Jaguar quarterback, earlier today about a couple of things, one of which was looking back on his rookie season. And basically, Zach asked Trevor in this soundbite, did you lose any faith your rookie year in how good you were at the game of football? 
No, I mean, I never, never doubted myself. I wouldn't say that. I think there were times, you know, during my rookie year at different points where you lose a little bit of confidence and it, it's difficult. You know, obviously it's tough. Uh, this league is tough, especially uh, the circumstances that we had in my rookie year. So that was, there was times where it was challenging and you start to maybe lose a little bit of confidence, but I never lost that, that ultimate confidence and belief in what's ahead. I knew there was, there was great things ahead and I believe that there's still even better things down the road. So I always had that belief. And I think that's been something that's been big for me, but definitely there were times where your confidence gets a little shaken and you got to find ways to bounce back from it. And I think that's another thing that, you know, coach Peterson, our staff has done a great job and has helped me with, and they've always had that faith and trust in me. And um, it's been really, really awesome. That's a night and day situation from where Trevor was on February 7th last year. February 7th last year, coming off a 12-touchdown, 17-interception rookie campaign. The absolute disaster that was Urban Meyer and that staff and everything Trevor had to deal with, all the nonsense that I've referred to it as since all that happened. And now here we are, 25 touchdowns, 8 picks, a Pro Bowl selection, and a 4,000-yard passer in year two. And, boy, the Jaguars are going to be one of those teams this offseason. Depending on what happens with Jawan Taylor and Evan Ingram, certainly there are some factors. But if things play out the way I think they're going to play out and the Jaguars are able to re-sign and, and replenish even through the draft and maybe a free agent signing or two, people are going to love Jacksonville. People are going to love Jacksonville when these preseason magazines start coming out in a couple of months. Jacksonville will be one of those teams. I'm willing to bet you two or three primetime games. I'm willing to bet you maybe another game or two at the 425 mark. The day and age of 16 1 o'clock games is over, at least for this upcoming season. When you look at that schedule the Jaguars have with Kansas City and San Francisco and Buffalo and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and Baltimore, it's a daunting schedule. But it's a great schedule for television. And with the emergence of Trevor Lawrence, the Jaguars are going to find their way onto the national spotlight probably more times in 2023 than they have in the last three or four years combined. And it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. More from Trevor Lawrence coming up in just a bit. Right now, let's go to Arizona. Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com, Super Bowl 57. We are less than five days away. Kansas City and Philadelphia. Let's talk Super Bowl. Let's talk other NFL issues like some of the head coaching hirings going on around the NFL. We'll do all that with Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com. He's next. It's a Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. No. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. And we are glad you are with us. The Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. We've also had some interesting head coaching hires in the NFL over the last week. Let's get the very latest with my man Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports. Dot com always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jeff, how we doing, man? Uh, Hacker, just get ready for the Super Bowl, my friend. Uh, it, it's crazy to believe this. And, you know, I thought in August this year was really good. 
I didn't think they'd be this good and they'd be going to the Super Bowl, though. Look, uh, let's start right there. You cover Philadelphia. You have a uh, daily NFC East podcast that you do. Uh, boy, what the job that Philadelphia has done this year, a relatively easy cakewalk in the playoffs with the Giants and a banged-up 49er team, and now here we are, NFC champions on their way to the Super Bowl. Just put in context, Jeff, what Philadelphia has accomplished this year. Well, I'll tell you what. I think both things can be true too, Ryan, right? You, know, you can have an easy cakewalk through the playoffs, and you can be really good. <laughs> the Eagles are really good. Let, let's just you know call a spade a spade here. I mean, what they were able to do in the postseason was incredible. Uh, all their all-season signings have panned out. James Bradbury's been an all-pro. Hassan Reddick should have been a defensive player of the year finalist. You're seeing that this postseason. A.J. Brown's been incredible. Jalen Hurts has taken the next step. And I was talking to Tony Romo the other day about the Eagles and the Chiefs. And Romo said, this is an offense where it's not you're not going to figure it out this season. It's going to take teams' entire offseason – maybe to play them two or three times to even get a glimpse of figuring them out. And he said, oh, by the way, there was a team that played them three times and they couldn't figure them out. So th- that's how dynamic that offense is. They could beat you in so many different ways that they're not throwing for 300 yards. They're, they're running for 200. It's, they're such a multifaceted offense. There's such a problem for people. I think people just like to go with the easy schedule thing because that's what they do when you're on top. Like, I'm sure you've heard that with the Jaguars, too. Well, the Jaguars played in the AFC South. Well, who cares? It's, is that the Jaguars' fault the Texans and, and Colts stunk? No. So you got to look at – you just got to take it with a grain of salt at this point. Jeff, there were concerns, or I guess questions might be a better word, about Jalen Hurts coming into this year. Is he the guy? Well, that has obviously been answered. What happened there? Why did he turn into – what he turned into this year? I think a lot of it has to do with Jalen Hurts' preparation. Jalen Hurts knew his two bigness, his two biggest weaknesses last year were throwing to his left and being able to read his own defense. And Jalen Hurts worked on that. I, I, I could tell right away from the first Eagles training camp practice this year. I'm like, oh, okay, well, Jalen Hurts knows how to read his own defense because you got Jarius, yeah, Darius Slay and James Bradbury back there, and it, you know he's completing passes off them, and you know, getting him A.J. Brown. And really, that was the only major move they made on offense. They added A.J. Brown. They did get Zach Pascal, but Zach Pascal is a third receiver. Like, they still have Devonta Smith. They still have Dallas Guard. They still have their running game, the best offensive line of football. But Jalen Hurts, his the ability for him to throw to his left, which he's done all year, he's been the best deep ball quarterback in football, really worked on that. It's any weakness Jalen Hurts had. He worked on like now Jalen Hurts' biggest weakness is against pressure. I guarantee you he will find a way to figure that out next year. It's it's like watching Patrick Mahomes in a way. I, I mean, he's not as talented as Patrick Mahomes, but Patrick Mahomes did so much improvising in year one and year two that you couldn't stop him. Now Patrick Mahomes knows how to read a defense. He knows how to dissect the blitz. He knows how to get rid of the ball quick, doesn't rely on his athleticism as much. And Look how good the Chiefs are. It's I, I see that as the next step in Jalen Hurts' evolution, if you will. Jeff Kerr covers the NFL for CBSSports.com. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jeff, Nick Sirianni uh, is going to the Super Bowl as the head coach of Philadelphia. Although a little bit of a, I guess, controversy. There was a, a New York Giants player, Julian Love, a safety, that was on the NFL Network this week that basically said Sirianni's getting a, quote, free ride, and Julian Love said that a lot of people 
could coach this team. They're that good that maybe Sirianni's just along for the ride, and it's the players that are the reason that Philadelphia is here. You cover this team on a daily basis. What was your thoughts on that? So initially when he said it, I was like, okay, whatever. And then he doubled down on social media, which I think was a big mistake. And then I said what I was initially going to tweet out about it. Well, what does that say about you, your team, and your coach if you think he's getting a free ride? Because the Eagles beat this team by basically 100 total points this year, and we're the first team ever to beat the Giants three times in the season. So, I, I mean, look, Nick Sirianni is excellent at what he does. He's, he, he runs – his preparation comes Monday through Saturday, and he lets Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon do everything on Sunday while he just kind of – Nick Sirianni is very good at a game plan. It, we saw that in the NFC Championship game. He dissected exactly what they were going to do. Okay, we are going to make sure we get pressure on Brock Purdy. Got him out of the game. Done. Okay, this 49ers defense is really good. Are we going to try to attack him through the air? Yeah, we can. But also, we got a really good offensive line. We got a really good ground game. Let's bully the bully. They were able to do that. And they've been doing that to a lot of teams this year. And they just beat the crap out of the 49ers, you want to be honest, uh, Brian. It was, it was more of, okay, we can just run the ball down their throats. They can't stop us. That's what they did against the Giants. They ran for 268 yards in that playoff game. And, I, I, I mean, I, I, I just think there's kind of – those comments were so out of line by a guy who was, you know, couldn't cover Devonta Smith to save his life in that divisional playoff game. So I, I don't know. I, it's like what Brandon Graham said. People do a lot of talking when they're sitting at home on their couch. Well, it's blood in the water for you as a media guy up there in the New England area, the NFC East area, because uh, good grief when the Giants and the Eagles get together next year, that'll be a humongous talking point what some of the Giants players have said about Nick Sirianni. Jeff, they're playing Andy Reid. I mean, it's a great script, right? Andy Reid against Philadelphia in the Super Bowl. We know how much trouble Andy Reid had getting Philly to a Super Bowl. Only one, and I think he went to five NFC Championship games. And now here we are, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. You got the Kelsey brothers as well, Travis and Jason. A lot of juicy storylines next week. Oh, I can't wait. So it was fun. I had to ask Jason right away what it would mean to play Travis in, in a Super Bowl. And he said, well, I'll be a Chiefs fan for three hours. <laughs> I'm going to take my shirt off, and you'll never see me root for the Chiefs again. And, uh, man, if Jason really stood true to his word. There was a video that, that leaked that Jason, as soon as they won, Jason literally took the Chiefs sweatshirt off and put on an Eagles shirt. I mean, how savage is that? And it's not just that they're brothers but they're really good, you know, of, of players that have five first team all pro selections in the last seven years, there's only been like five of them. Jason and Travis Kelsey are two. It, it's, it's insane how good those two actually are. They're, they're both probably going to be first ballot hall of famers at their position at the rate they're going. And it, it, they're definitely going to be hall of famers. And I mean, to me, that's a storyline. I, I could eat up all week. I'm actually going to do a feature for CBS about it. I'm hoping to get both of them together. It's going to be hard to get both of them together in the same room, but hopefully the NFL allows that to happen. So, well, we'll see there. But, yeah, Andy Reid facing the Eagles. I, I, I'm such a big Andy Reid fan. I, I haven't missed a Chiefs game since Andy Reid went to Kansas City. I knew he was going to work out there just because of what he built in Philadelphia, which Philadelphia still uses his philosophy to build a team based on how he constructed the front office, 
how you build a roster in between the trenches. You know, who to draft, you know, what to draft when you have a high draft pick, uh, the type of quarterback you want, the, the type of office, the type of offensive system, the medical staff, everything is basically how to pick a head coach. It's based off Andy Reid, and you got to give Andy Reid credit for that, and he's brought all that to Kansas City. It, it, it's absolutely insane how Andy Reid has 12 assistant coaches from his Eagle staff or who played or coached under him in Philadelphia now in Kansas City, and he's winning even more. Like, he won 58% of his games with the Eagles. He's winning 73% of his games with the Chiefs. Somehow Andy Reid got better in his second stint. You know, and we talk about, again, Jeff Kerr of CBS Sports, we talk about the familiarity that Andy Reid and Doug Peterson had with one another before the playoff game a couple of weeks ago. Same thing with Sirianni and Andy Reid, right? There's a lot of familiarity there. Oh, there definitely is. And, and again, Andy Reid fired Nick Sirianni because he, he retained him in Kansas City. Nick Sirianni was on Todd Haley's staff, and Nick Sirianni doesn't only grudge about that. Andy Reid loves Nick Sirianni. He, he said yesterday, he's perfect for Philly. He embraces that that tough fan base and that culture, and he said, you need that. And look, the Eagles contact Andy Reid when they're looking for a head coach. You know, Andy Reid recommended Doug Pearson to them. When they, when they went through to hire Nick Sirianni, they asked Andy Reid his opinion, and Andy Reid gave it to him. And clearly it worked because look what Nick Sirianni's doing there. It's, I, I, I mean, just everything Andy Reid's been able – to do for that franchise and what Nick Sirianni is bringing that franchise. Nick Sirianni really does embody Philadelphia well. It's Philadelphia fans, they're not used to having a dominant team, especially in this generation. So when they are dominating, they're going to let you know about it. And Nick Sirianni does. You know, he's not afraid to fall into the narratives. Like they beat the Cowboys this year and he yells, how about them? How about them Eagles? And Cowboys fans took offense to it. And he said, well, you have a problem with it. Go beat us. And, you know, that's just the way Nick Sirianni is, and the team embodies that, that culture. And I remember when they beat Indianapolis, he said that one was for Frank Reich. So Sirianni yeah. is not afraid to mix it up with the opposing organization and the opposing fan base. Final moments with Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com. Those are the two head coaches, Jeff, Andy Reid and Sirianni, that will be in the Super Bowl. Three head coaches have been hired in the last week with the goal to get to the Super Bowl. Some big names. D'Amico Ryan's now in Houston with the AFC South. Obviously, Frank Reich has reemerged there in Charlotte with the Panthers. And then, of course, Sean Payton in Denver with the Broncos. Anything stand out about any of those hires that have been made here recently? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. So, the Sean Payton thing, I actually thought the Broncos were – not that they were trying to get him. I just thought they were trying to get a big fish. And they did get it. And you're seeing it now. Like, if they can get Brian Flores to be his defense coordinator, that's insane because Denver's already had a good defense coordinator in place. And with that defense, it's I, – look, I still don't think Russell Wilson is a bad quarterback. I think that Daniel Hackett was probably one of the worst head coaches we've ever seen. And, you know, and this is like Urban Meyer territory, how bad he was. So – I, I think Sean Payton Russell Wilson could be a very good thing. And if not, then the problem really is Russ. And I think Sean Payton can fix that. Um, obviously, Carolina with Frank Reich. I really like that hire. I think that's a really good fit for Carolina. They never hired an offensive head coach before. I just don't know. Who the heck are the Colts going to hire? Or the Cardinals are going to hire? I feel like no one wants to coach them. 
Yeah, it's weird that here we are on, what, the third day of February and the Colts and the Cardinals still looking for their head coach. And I got to tell you, Jeff, I've talked to people out in Houston. They're fired up about D'Amico Ryans. Now, it's a rebuild out there, and it'll start when they draft a quarterback here in a couple of months. Uh, but if you give D'Amico Ryans enough time, there seems to be some excitement out there in Houston again. Yeah, I'm a guy who I, I think D'Amico Ryan is going to be a good head coach in this league. And, yeah, you know, I, I think when J.J. Watt kind of leaked that picture of him and D'Amico, you kind of knew D'Amico was going to take that job. And I, I think that's the type of job D'Amico was waiting for. And I wonder if Houston said to him with the Lovey Smith thing, hey, you know what? If you're not ready yet, let's just see how next year goes and we'll, we'll come back to you. And, you know, I, I was getting the vibes that John began interview with that team three times, including last year. And when he said he was coming back, I'm like, uh-oh, that, that means D'Amico Ryans is probably going there because D'Amico looked like he was on his way out anyway. But, yeah, I mean, D'Amico Ryans was the heart and soul of that Texans team for nearly a decade. And it, he, the Eagles loved him when he was here. And, you know, you, you just knew that guy was going to be a head coach someday. And, yeah, I, I agree with you. So, I, I mean, it's like when you guys got Doug Pearson last year. How fired up were you? It's There's reason to believe in Houston again. And like you said, Hacker, it's going to take a while, but – I, I think D'Amico Ryan's is the guy to do that. And when you give a guy like that six years, that shows your belief in him. Jeff, two final questions. Number one, got to talk about Tom Brady briefly. Uh, the GOAT officially retired again. This time it does appear like it is for real. You've covered the NFL for a long time. You've certainly seen a lot of Tom Brady football over the years. Uh, your thoughts when you saw Tom Brady call it a career earlier this week? You know what? It, it's a shame I didn't get to celebrate like I did last year because I actually thought it was done last year, and then he came back. And now it's it fit, this one felt like Michael Jordan's retirement with the Wizards. You're just like, okay, you know, that, thanks, Tom. You're still the goat. You're still the man. But you know, it, it feels like it wasn't celebrated as much as it was last year because he just dropped it out of nowhere. Oh, by the way, yeah, I, I'm done. And you know, I, I'm excited to see what he brings to Fox. You know, his charisma, his personality, but. Honestly, one of my favorite moments of Tom Brady has nothing to do with the Patriots. It's winning that Super Bowl with the Bucs. And I hated how it came against the Chiefs and Andy Reid, but, man, a part of me smiled when he won that Super Bowl without Bill Belichick because um, I tell people I don't, I'm not a hot take guy, but I think Bill Belichick might be one of the most overrated head coaches ever. The Patriot way was always the Brady way, and he does not have all those Super Bowl titles about Tom Brady. Yeah, you think about Tom Brady, 35 playoff wins just absolutely insane Jeff we got 90 seconds to go leave us with this I haven't talked to you since the season ended for the Jacksonville Jaguars final thoughts from you before free agency gets here on the Jaguar season that was here in 2022 I'll tell you what that's a hell of a year I, I thought Jacksonville was going to win six seven games this year and I thought they'd be on the right track now they won nine they won the AFC South they won a playoff game in the craziest way possible it's and you got a franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. I mean, you guys knew that, but look how good Trevor Lawrence played late in that year. And for him to come back from that first half of that playoff game where he has zero passer rating to win that game for them, that just showed me everything I need to know. And then they almost beat Kansas City. Doug Pearson almost beat Andy Reid. It's incredible what Jacksonville was able to do this year. And I think Jacksonville, they're on the right track. Um I think they're going to win the AFC South next year. I know it's early to predict, but they're going to spend even more money. Uh, you, you know how the Khan family is. They're going to they're going to want to build off this success. It's literally probably the first time that they they felt like okay, we're we're going to have sustained success here with this coach and with and with this quarterback. And I'm excited to see how Jacksonville go, 
going forward. But for the love of God, can we give this team a Sunday night football game? <laughs> yeah, no quit, no kidding. Uh, not, nothing against Saturday night football or Thursday night football, but I think uh, at this point with Cincinnati on the schedule, with Buffalo, with San Francisco, and with Kansas City on the schedule, it's a tough schedule. I think we're going to see Jacksonville probably on Sunday and Monday night here in 2023. Jeff, always appreciate the time. Know you're jam-packed. I know you're about to travel out to Arizona, man. Safe travels to the Super Bowl, and we'll talk again soon, my friend. Yeah, sounds great, Hacker. I'll tell you what, the only thing I'm going to hate about this trip is I got to lay away in Minneapolis. That's the last place I want to be this time of year. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. We'll talk soon, bud. Yeah, I'll see you, Mike. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. So a lot of news in the world of the National Football League. Maybe the biggest piece of news today, as we welcome you back into Hacker After Dark, here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Derek Carr, reportedly, on his way out of Las Vegas. But we knew that. But does he already have a destination? If you look at reports all over from some of the uh, national media that cover the NFL, it appears to be all but a done deal that Derek Carr is going to wind up in New Orleans with the Saints. Which would be very interesting. I mean, New Orleans, look, got talent with Alvin Kamara, certainly. We'll see what they do at the wide receiver position. Chris Olave had a very good rookie year. They got some guys. No question about that. Derek Carr apparently voided his no-trade clause, said he would be willing to go to New Orleans, reportedly. And there was even reports that he was visiting New Orleans. Nothing imminent. Again, nothing can be official until, I believe, March the 15th is when the NFL League calendar begins. But last year, we saw Russell Wilson to Denver. We saw Matt Ryan to Indianapolis, obviously. Those two deals and those two moves did not work out very well. But we could see another one in Derek Carr, who I think is a very good quarterback, has been a pro bowler, was a pro bowler this year. If New Orleans gets Derek Carr, good on them. We'll have to see what Jimmy Garoppolo does. Obviously, we'll have to see what happens with Lamar Jackson. Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts aren't moving teams. They're going to get paid, though, in a big way by their current team. There will be some quarterback uh, carousel action going on again this year, and potentially the first domino may have already fallen, Derek Carr and the New Orleans Saints. Aaron Rodgers, could he be part of the quarterback carousel? Well, on the Pat McAfee show earlier today, which I love. McAfee is a trip watching him. Aaron Rodgers tells Pat McAfee that he is going to go on a four-day, four-night darkness retreat. Aaron Rodgers, quote, I've got a pretty cool opportunity to do a little self-reflection and some isolation. And then after that, I feel like I'll be a lot closer to a final decision. Denmark, have you ever gone on a four-day, four-night darkness retreat? That would be a negative. I um don't really know what a darkness retreat is. Let me look it up. 
Although I can tell you there are certain times where I wouldn't mind having three or four days alone, right? Look, love family life, love hanging out with all my friends. Heck, I talk on the radio for a living. I interact with people every day as part of my job, and I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I can appreciate getting away for a couple of days, clearing your head, if you will, which it sounds like that's what Aaron Rodgers is doing. Yeah, I got a definition for you. Yeah, what do you got for darkness retreat? It's a spiritual retreat in a space that is completely absent of light, which is advanced practice in this religion of law letters. I don't know. Something Buddhism. All right. Well, so that's, there you go. That's interesting. Yeah. But after Aaron Rodgers enjoys the four days in the darkness retreat, he says that his mind will be clear and he should be able to make a final decision. Is it back to Green Bay? Is it somewhere else? Potentially the New York Jets? Potentially the Las Vegas Raiders? We just said Derek Carr is going out. Raiders need somebody to come in. Devontae Adams is already there. Could Aaron Rodgers be on his way? We'll know potentially after the four-day darkness retreat. The 49ers have a brand new defensive coordinator. Of course, they have to replace D'Amico Ryans. Steve Wilkes, the guy that many thought should get the head coaching job in Carolina. He was the interim this year when Matt Rule was fired. Steve Wilkes lands on his feet, the brand new defensive coordinator in San Francisco. And the Titans have promoted from within. Tim Kelly is their brand new offensive coordinator. Not sure about that one. Tennessee fans I talked to had a lot of problems with a lot of coaches on that offensive staff. Not sure about that hire, but we'll see. Again, Tennessee's in a weird place, man. They hire a brand-new general manager, and they already had a head coach there. Rand Carthon and Mike Vrabel have never worked together. Now here they are, working together for the first time. Is that going to work? Well, it worked here, right, with Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson. We'll see if it works in Nashville with Rand Carthon and with... Mike Vrabel. I will tell you this as well. We are 34 days away from free agency. We are 24 Hacker After Darks away from free agency. Every night on Hacker After Dark, we'll give you four guys that are scheduled to become free agents. Last night, we kicked it off with numbers 100 through 97. Tonight, according to Pro Football Focus, their top 100 list, Numbers 96 through 93, a lot of safeties. Deron Harmon of the Raiders. You got number 95, Marcus Epps, Philadelphia. 94, Devin McCourty in New England. I can't imagine Devin McCourty playing anywhere else than New England. He's been there forever. And number 93, Puna Ford, the defensive lineman for the Seattle Seahawks. None of those guys really strike me here in Jacksonville. I guess maybe potentially Ford, who's a big body in the interior of the defensive line. But I don't think any of those guys are in the plans for Jacksonville. Again, we'll give you four free agents tonight, according to Pro Football Focus, leading into free agency 34 days away, Monday, March the 13th. Hacker After Dark rolls on. Brent Beard coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. We'll go to Houston, R.J. Saunders, 97.5, talking to Miko Ryans, 
Texan football, and more. Later on in the 11 o'clock hour, Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. 1010XL, 92.5 FM. is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. One hour down, one hour to go. Jacksonville, our late show, uh, Tuesdays, 10 to midnight. As always, we're streaming for your viewing pleasure on YouTube. Just go to 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see Hacker After Dark there till midnight tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter, you will see the show there until midnight this evening. Brent Beard talking college ball coming up in just a bit. Found this interesting. We'll elaborate more on this tomorrow night. 133 teams in Division I college football. It was 131 for a long time, but we now welcome Sam Houston and Jacksonville State to the world of Division I college football. Florida State remembers Jacksonville State pretty well, I would imagine. And speaking of Florida State, ESPN.com, and they do this every year leading into spring ball. Believe it or not, we're about a week or two out from spring practice beginning with some colleges. It starts this early. We'll bring you a list of what colleges begin spring coming up tomorrow on Hacker After Dark. But Florida State returns 87% of their production on offense and defense combined from last year. 80% of their offensive production... 94% of their defensive production. That's why momentum and thoughts are very high in Seminole country about 2023. They got a lot of people coming back from a 10-win football team. That ranks Florida State number one in the most returning production out of 133 teams in the land. Miami comes in at number 35 out of 133. 70% of their roster production is coming back. 62 on offense, 77% on defense. Florida, you say? Well, you got to go down to number 107. 54% of their roster production. Catches, tackles, return yardage, touchdowns. You throw it all in there. It all matters. Florida, 55% of their offensive production returns from a year ago, 53% of their defensive production. The only silver lining, Gator fans, is Alabama ranks worse than you. Alabama has only 40% of their roster production coming back in 2023, but when you recruit 25 four- and five-stars every year, that's why Alabama doesn't have to rebuild. They reload. Florida is not in that position. So Florida is going to have to rely on a lot of guys that did not play last year to really produce for them here in 2023. More college football talk, a couple of new coordinators at Alabama, some issues at Miami. It's not just Florida anymore. Miami has a four-star that has asked out of his signed letter of intent. We'll talk about all of it with Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly. Here on Hacker After Dark, it is a Tuesday night in Jacksonville, Florida. 
and we are glad you are with us. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. There is always something going on in the world of college football. We got some brand new coordinators at the University of Alabama. We got a couple of coordinators that have left Miami. We got a player asking out of his letter of intent at Miami. Gator fans, does that sound familiar? And, oh, by the way, there is a huge SEC presence in Super Bowl 57. With all that, let's go to my friend Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News here locally, and he's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, sir? Well, I'm doing uh, well. It's uh, good to be with you, as always. And, uh, yes, uh, but plenty to go on. And the great thing about it is, uh, we are uh, getting closer and closer uh, to uh, within a short period of time. We're going to be talking about spring practice. Yeah, there are some teams. Uh, keep in mind the teams that did not go to bowl games. They've mm-hmm. two and a half months into their off season. Right. Yeah, some springs will open up in the next couple of weeks. All right, Brent, you're from the state of Alabama. Obviously, you have crimson tide uh, blood flowing through your veins because, look, you graduated from there. It's what happens. You're an objective guy, but you're a Crimson Tide guy uh, back in the day, certainly. Jalen Hurts was at one point a Crimson Tide guy before he transferred to Oklahoma, and he has set the world on fire in the National Football League, Brent. You followed this guy in college. You followed his entire career. You talked to people at the program that were around him. Did you personally have any idea that Jalen Hurts would turn into this type of NFL quarterback? No way, no how, frankly. I mean, when he obviously left Alabama, was pulled for Tua in the national championship game, Tua Tua comes in and throws the touchdown pass, ironically enough, to Devonta Smith. Uh, The the thing with Jalen was – he was a, uh, a dual-threat quarterback, more of a better runner than a thrower. I, I just never thought he would get consistent enough and accurate enough with his passes to make the uh, impact that he has. He's a great leader. He's a really tough guy. He can squat and bench basically what the offensive line squats and benches, but through – uh, the development that he's had uh, in the NFL, and, and frankly, as much as anything else, Hack, just just from pure determination and and staying with it, what he has been able to do, I think, has been remarkable. It's been a great story, and look, there was some real talk beginning this year. Was he the guy in Philadelphia? Was he mm-hmm. playing for his job? And he has just been nothing short of electrifying. You know, you think about all the great Alabama quarterbacks in college, and, and a large majority of them did not work out. I guess Jalen Hurts is the obvious exception to that rule over the last decade plus. Really has. Now, now Mac Jones may have something to say about that. Uh, and if A.J. McCarron can stay healthy, maybe one day uh, he will. But – uh, Jalen Hurts is setting the standard right now, and, and I, I, people may have missed this uh, too, but Nick Saban actually talked about 
what they knew at some point with Tua coming on that they needed to make a change. But what Saban did uh, was he, he there were three schools involved with this. Well, actually, probably more than that. But it was good. But what Saban said a couple of days ago that a lot of people missed is he encouraged Jalen Hurts to go to Oklahoma instead of Miami or Maryland because they were in the picture uh, so that he thought he could further his pro career by going to Oklahoma and working with a passing game that that would help develop him. Now, he wasn't great at Oklahoma either, but he still gave you, I think, enough of a performance that led you to believe, well, this may – he may actually get drafted, and this may, and he could do okay. So I, I just thought that was an interesting bit of that that we never really knew until this week uh, who was in play with that. Uh, in that Miami and in uh, Maryland were also uh, two possibilities before he went to Oklahoma. You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him right here on Hacker After Dark on Ten Ten XL. And 92.5 FM. Speaking of the Southeastern Conference, Brent, Jalen Hurts finds himself throwing to a couple of big-time wide receivers out of the SEC, A.J. Brown. We all know the career he had at Ole Miss. And then a guy that won the Heisman there in Tuscaloosa and Devonta Smith. So certainly Jalen Hurts has played very well, but he's got some former SEC brethren there on the offensive side of the ball in Philadelphia that have come up very big this year. Well, those two guys have been just remarkable, frankly. Uh, now, um, Devonta Smith, as we mentioned a minute ago, catching the, the winning touchdown against Georgia in the national championship game. Uh, I mean, the ceiling for him is just, it, it just frankly, unbelievable uh, with what he can do. He's a tremendous route runner. He has great hands. When you watch him sa- Sunday night, Hank, Pay attention to Smith and how he catches the ball. He catches the ball specifically with his hands. And that's something that the, the really good Alabama receivers, i.e. Julio Jones, have been able to do. I think Calvin Ridley has been able to do that um, and, and some others. But that's really been the key for uh, Devonta. And he, he can bail you out of a lot of trouble, tremendous speed, uh, and, 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 Hank, you would think almost uh, like Jalen, as small as he is, that he would not be able to transform and trans- transition to the league, but everything he did in Alabama has served him well in the, in the next level, hasn't it? It has, and you think about those wide receivers. Now, Henry Ruggs, obviously, he made a horrific decision, and his football yes. career is basically over. The other three guys, particularly Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddell at Miami, mm-hmm. and Jerry Judy, although he's had some injury problems, yep. those guys have turned into pretty good NFL wide receivers, all from Alabama. They really have. And look, if Jalen Waddell had had been healthy toward the end of his career, there's no telling how good that he would have been. Uh, the, the amusing thing was there was thought – in, in, in the middle of uh, uh, of Devonta's career, uh, when he won the Heisman, uh, was would 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 one of the uh, other Bama receivers 
take it away from him. So, uh, and, and that shows you a lot of growth for Nick Saban. He decided to uh, uh, to go to to, to kind of uh, change his philosophy on offense. Served him well, and when they did that, they started getting receivers. Hank, that they would they would have never dreamed of getting receivers like that uh, ten to twenty years ago. Yeah, and they just one after another after another. They've yeah. been just throwing them out at Alabama in the recruiting process. Brent, not to be outdone, Kansas City, probably not as many big-time SEC players, but their best defensive player is an SEC guy, and he is just a dominant, dominant force. Now, I'm not going to pretend to say that I watched a lot of Chris Jones there in Starkville, but I've watched a lot of Chris Jones since he came into the league. Uh, What a force he has been, the former Mississippi State Bulldog there for the Chiefs. I don't know if he has gotten anywhere near the credit that he deserves in his development. And I think the thing that's misleading about them, Hack, uh, is just the fact they are obviously known uh, for, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, Mike Leach and his offense, late Mike Leach. But they don't get enough credit for the guys that they have developed along the way defensively, and I do think it's kind of ironic along with what you said with Chris Jones that uh, Zach Arnett, the former D coordinator, who's now the head coach, uh, how they are changing things up. But that uh, defense for for Mississippi State, uh, and this will take you back a little bit, Hank, but you remember when Dan Mullen was there and, and of all people, Todd Grantham. Uh, the D coordinator. So, um, and I'm not saying they were great at that point either, but States put out some really good uh, uh, defensive players, and Jones is one of them. Yeah, Chris Jones, Jeffrey Simmons, just to name a few. They got some good defensive talent coming out of Starkville, Mississippi. Brent, we're going to shift gears, talk directly about the college game, but quickly, do you have a, a pick for Sunday night between the Chiefs and the Eagles? It, I tell you, it's hard for me to go against the Chiefs, uh, frankly. Uh, but I, but, but I still think as good as both these quarterbacks are, this is going to come down to who can get the most pressure uh, on the uh, opposing quarterback, and that's kind of how these teams got here in and hack. To in, in in a lot of ways, was both their front seven uh, has frankly been very good in the playoffs. Uh, and I think that's one thing that's probably going to carry the Chiefs through. Would I be shocked if, if the Eagles won? Uh, absolutely not. But but edging toward the Chiefs right now. Yeah, we're all in the analytical uh, state of sports, yeah. and I saw ESPN had percentage of both these teams winning, and it was dead even at 50%. So yeah, across the board, this looks like a pretty even contest on Sunday night in Super Bowl 57. Brent, I saw Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen, you got me thinking about Dan Mullen. Good heavens. <laughs> I saw Billy Napier's speaking tour at the University of yeah. Florida is going to take him into your neck of the woods there to Clay sure County. I'm sure the uh, Clay County Gator Club is pretty fired up about that. I, I can guarantee you they're turning uh, uh, flips over that. They have gone, but by the way, a quick plug for the, for the club. Their uh, 25th anniversary is coming up this month, Hank. How about that? So, in uh, in uh, help me, but uh, I think it was like he's going to twenty different places 
Uh, I thought New York's one of them. I, I, I thought that was interesting. I love the name of that club. It's the Gotham Gator Club. I'm like, that's yeah, an outstanding that name. Absolutely. So, but the reality is, uh, I can't tell you. I, look, look many, many, uh, a lifetime ago, they got Steve Spurrier to come. So getting Billy Napier to come is a real plus for that club. You know, Brent, speaking of the Gators, people are still talking about Jaden Rashada asking out of his letter of intent. He was granted that. He is now committed and enrolled there at Arizona State. It's not just Florida. Miami uh, earlier today had a four-star corner ask out of his signed letter of intent. And I got to tell you, uh, you wonder if this is just the tip of the iceberg when these kids sign these letters of intent, are promised all these things in NIL, or at least think they're promised all these things, it doesn't come to fruition. A couple of weeks later, they're saying, thanks, but no thanks. Give me my letter of intent back. It's now happened to Florida, and reportedly earlier today happened down at Miami. I hope this is not going to be a trend, but but, but I think you may be on to something. Antoine Jackson is a four-star cornerback uh, signee from Dillard. Uh, had a few come out of Dillard, have they, Hank? Um, reclassified from... 2024 to 2023, uh, um, and was coming in uh, at that point. Some rumors uh, about him uh, in the beginning of going to Colorado. Now, Kevin Steele, the D coordinator going to Alabama, had a close relationship uh, with Antoine Jackson, so that may have had a little bit to, uh, to do with this. Uh, going on also, but but yes, I'm I'm hoping that's not going to be the case. Uh, that that it's going to be something we're going to see all the time. And while we're on Miami, we need to mention Tulane defensive coordinator Lance Gidry uh, has replaced Kevin Steele. Now uh, uh, people don't know a whole lot about him, but the reality is Gidry. Uh, Coming from Tulane, look that, and you know this. Uh, that's a good hire because that's a good football team right now. Um, I, I've been very impressed uh, with, with what they have been able to do. So I wanted to uh, wanted to mention that that that's kind of a late breaking thing. Uh, but but you're right, with Antoine Jackson. Very interesting with his request. And then Lance Gidry coming in there to uh, uh, to replace Kevin Steele. And Mario Cristobal did, didn't waste much time in that hire, did he, Hank? He did not. Final moments here with Brent Beard. He, he It's a good hire, but I wonder how off guard they were that Kevin Steele up and left in the yep. middle of the night to go to Alabama. Right. This after um, uh, Miami fired their offensive coordinator, what, a week and a half ago. So here we yep, are. maybe. Yeah, early to mid-February in Miami at, at a certain point here was out both coordinators. Now, they've recently filled one of those jobs. Brent, leave us with this. We mentioned Kevin Steele. He's headed to your neck of the woods, to Alabama. Alabama's also hired, was it Tommy Reese from Notre Dame to be the offensive coordinator? What's been the reaction to Reese and Steele heading to Tuscaloosa? I, I think what people have realized is, and it's ironic because we were talking a few minutes ago about uh, Alabama having two in Mac Jones and Jalen Hurts and the co- different quarterbacks that they've had 
Bryce Young and being able to throw the ball. Well, Kevin Steele's higher, uh, and uh, also uh, Tommy Reese being hired is indicative of a change uh, with Alabama because they want to go back. Uh, they're not abandoning the passing game, any stretch of imagination, but they want to reestablish the running game in the line of scrimmage. And this is something that's eluded them because on third and short, fourth and short, They've been having to throw the ball. Well, Georgia doesn't do that. Uh, and, and some of the teams that have got a really good offensive line, a defensive line, uh, they, they know how important it is. So they, these hires are, are, are because of that. Tommy Reese and the offensive line Notre Dame has had under him. And also the running game uh, has been impressive. Kevin Steele's been in Alabama. This is his third time. Pete Golding now going to Ole Miss, uh, so still coming back. Uh, he, he's a he's a pretty good recruiter. Well, what Steele is known for is is rebuilding uh, the, uh, the the line of scrimmage uh, on the defensive side of the ball with the front seven. Remember, Hank, when he was at Auburn, uh, they had some fierce pass rushers at that time, and they're hoping that's going to happen. And you can also look for at, at some point. Uh, I think some other changes like Jeremy Pruitt coming in for Alabama. It may take a month for that to happen before all the Tennessee NCAA situation straightens out. Uh, but that will be interesting to follow. But uh, I, I think that's precisely what Nick Saban's looking at is, is one more uh, run uh, for the national championship and going back to being a tougher, more physical line of scrimmage team, which, which uh, frankly, Hank, they have not been the last two or three years. You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Mr. Beard, always appreciate the time, my friend. Enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday. Obviously, there'll be much more in the world of college football to talk about next week, and we will call you at that point, buddy. Thank you very much. Heck, my pleasure as always. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. A lot going on in the world of sports. Obviously, the Super Bowl is on Sunday. You got the uh, head coaching hirings all over the place in the world of the NFL. The NFL draft season has officially started with the Senior Bowl in the rearview mirror. And oh, by the way, we're at the NBA trade deadline. The All-Star breaks in a week and a half. And the postseason in the NBA will be here before we know it. With all that, let's go out to my man R.J. Saunders, formerly of 1010XL here in Jacksonville. You now hear him on 97.5 FM in the city of Houston, Texas. R.J., it's been a while, man. How are you? Pretty good. Hack, how are you? Miss you guys, man. Yeah, R.J., man. Really appreciate the time. And, boy, busy times for you guys in Houston. I want to talk a little NBA with you in a moment, but let's start with the Texans and D'Amico Ryans coming home, the former Texan linebacker, named the head coach last week. What's been the reaction out there in Houston to the arrival of D'Amico Ryans? So a lot of people seem to really love this hire with this guy being, um, you know, a hometown guy, was with the Texans, you know, for a long time. And you've had guys like J.J. Watt, Brian Cushing, and, and Andre Johnson, 
Um, even uh, Steve McKinney has come out and said, you know, hey, when when this guy was playing, you know, this guy was a leader. Uh, we called him Cap even as a rookie. Um, Andre Johnson's gone as far to say this is the jolt that we needed. And they feel like they got the coaching higher right. You've heard the same thing from from Cal McNair, who I feel has been feeling the heat from the fans uh, these last couple of years. He feels like he's gotten this coaching higher right, wanted to be a part of the process a lot more. Um, so it was very good to see, you know, all the former Texans and even the current Texans players, you know, at his introductory press conference. Um, it just seems like this is given a shot in the arm to Houston Texans fans. You know, now they're looking towards the draft and they're also looking at who he's going to hire, um, you know, on his staff. So a lot of, you know, building going on, but it seems like there's a lot of excitement here in Houston, um, especially with him getting a six year contract. Um, they're really, you know, going to bet on this guy and they think that he's going to bring a winning culture back to Houston. You know, it was so interesting, RJ, watching the last week of the regular season. Lovey Smith had to know he was out the door. I mean, they fired him three right. hours after the game. He mounts a game-winning drive, leading the Texans uh, to a touchdown there, and then they go for two, and they get it to beat Indianapolis to cost themselves the number one pick in the draft. I, I mean, is there any ill will towards that Texan fan base towards Lovey for doing that there in week 18? Not that I've heard from the fan base per se. Um, I'll say this. Hack, remember when we were doing the fifth quarter and um, I forget who the Jets were playing, but that first down that Frank Gore got, and when we heard that he got the first down, you and I were jumping up and down, high-fiving, you know, the whole bit, the whole gambit. Yeah, that was against that was against the Rams. We might have referred to that a couple of times here in the last uh, few weeks with Trevor Lawrence's playoff appearance. Absolutely. It seems like the the team, just like the Jets were a couple of years ago, the team was elated, you know, that they got the victory. I mean, Levy Smith said, listen, we're going out there to win. We understand what's at stake. But, you know, the number two pick is just as important as the number one pick. Um, in his opinion. So, you know, now it's who, who do you want? Do you want Bryce Young or do you want C.J. Stroud? Are, are the Bears going to trade the pick to Indianapolis? There's also talks of if you're the Houston Texans, do you trade a second round pick uh, to Chicago to try to get the number one overall pick? So a lot of talk going there. I don't think that there was a lot of anger um, with the fans of a win, but when you know what the context is of that win, it just seems now that you, you, you're, you're, you're testing the fates here with that number two pick, and now you have to wait on Chicago to see what they'll do. Or if you want to push it and you want to get the number one pick because you believe, as many do, that Bryce Young is going to be the guy of the future, then you play your hand. But I don't think that Houston would have a problem with CJ Stroud either, but yeah, that, that, that win in the, in the final week, um, many were upset, but there were also those as well to say, Hey, well, we got another win in the book. So, you know, we got to kind of cut our losses that way. My former colleague here on 1010 XL, RJ Saunders, you hear him now 97.5 FM out there in Houston. He's with us here on 1010 XL. RJ final Texan related question. You mentioned Bryce Young, you mentioned CJ Stroud. You work with a guy that covers the draft uh, every day, right? And Lance Zerline. So I'm sure you have yeah. some interesting perspective on this. 
Who does he like? I mean, does is it Bryce Young? Is it C.J. Stroud? What's the talk out there in Houston? Well, I mean, you know, he's also trying to throw out there that you could go defensive. You know, he's also trying to think on that other side. Do you go to defensive route and maybe a, a Will Anderson? Um, you know, Jalen Carter's also been a guy that you throw out there. For him, you know, it's he doesn't think that you could go wrong with either guy. However, he just does have a little bit of pause when it comes to Bryce Young with him being undersized. You do hear that, you know, he's he's trying to make weight before, you know, going um, to the NFL draft to try to get over that 200 pound marker. Uh, you know, you even hear Mel Kuyper just saying, you know, there haven't been that many successful quarterbacks, if at all, that have come in at the height and the weight that Bryce Young is at. And Lance Zerline, you know, tends to agree with that. And you also have a guy in, in C.J. Stroud who, you know, he meets probably all the all the measurables where, you know, he's he's got the size, he, he has the weight. However, his agent is also the agent of Deshaun Watson. So, you know, is there any ill will there where, you know, his agent may say, listen, we don't want to go to the Houston Texans. But either one of these quarterbacks, you know, there's a lot of, uh, people who believe either one would be really good. It seems when you listen to listeners, though, they do like C.J. Stroud a lot more. But if Bryce Young is the guy and you're trying to identify him as the guy, now it just seems that Texans listeners and also you know people inside of the studio here at 97.5 are just trying to say, well, do you move up to try to go to the number one pick or do you stay at two? and just see what the Bears do when you get the next best quarterback. So a lot going on right now, a lot happening. Nothing really set in stone yet about who you want to take, but it seems like there's going to be two very good quarterbacks here um, in the NFL draft, and I don't think that Houston Texans fans will, will be able to complain about either one. RJ, what was the reaction in Houston to what the Jaguars did? Wow. Um... It seems it seems to me that there wasn't too much reaction here. However, you know, Damian Pierce had something where he had an interesting quote. I believe it was at the end of the year where he said, you know, hey, listen, we were a couple of games away to where we would have been in the exact same spot that the Jacksonville Jaguars were. He said, so if we can finish out games why can't we within the next couple of years or maybe even next year be in the exact same spot that Jacksonville was now? I understand that he's trying to say that they weren't able to finish games, but this Houston Texans team is, is a long ways away from being where Jacksonville was this year and in the coming years. And they feel like the Miko Ryans will point them in that right direction. But the biggest quote I feel the takeaway uh, this season was from your rookie running back where he said, listen, if Jacksonville was able to do it, if they were able to finish out games and they have a young team, then why why can't we say that we can't do this ourselves? So it seems like with Jacksonville, at least here, um, you know, me being a Jaguars fan, you know, I, I, I'm trying to disagree because I'm biased, but it seems here that people still feel like the AFC South is is open um, a little bit. They don't feel like Jacksonville is going to be like the juggernaut team for, let's say, the next five to six years. They feel that, you know, if if D'Amico is able to get this right, then you have a fight there at the top 
spot in the AFC South and in the division. Um, but yet yeah, the biggest thing was what Damian Pierce said, you know, just about what the team was able to do. And, and, and granted, they were in a lot of games. They won possession, two possessions away, but it was boneheaded mistakes, just like Jacksonville did a year ago or, or even two years ago. We always saw they were in games and then there was one or two mistakes, a holding call here or maybe a missed assignment there. And now all of a sudden, instead of, you know, us cheering for a win, now it's kind of moral victory Monday. And it seemed like it was the same way here this year with the Houston Texans. So if Damian Pierce and if there's other guys that are here, I don't know, maybe Laramie Tunsil or Kenyon Green or guys like that that feel like, hey, we're just a couple of games away last year from being in the mix for the playoffs, you know, let's try to go for it, you know, this next coming season. I feel like that there's um, optimism here uh, with the Houston Texans. Not everyone, but I I will say there are a select few. Yeah, it's interesting to be in this position in Jacksonville. Now, other teams are all of a sudden looking at Jacksonville as the blueprint for how to turn things around, which is a crazy thought, seeing as how the Jaguars were 4-8 and not all that long ago before they went on that run into the postseason. Final moments with R.J. Saunders, 97-5, out there in the city of Houston. R.J., big trade in the NBA over the weekend. Kyrie Irving from Brooklyn to Dallas. Brooklyn gets a lot in return with Spencer Denwitty, former Florida Gator Dorian Finney-Smith. But your initial thoughts on what Kyrie Irving brings along to Luka Doncic there in the Dallas Mavericks. I think that Mark Cuban understands that Luka needs a second guy. I think they messed things up with Jalen Brunson. They should have re-signed him, should have gave him a bigger deal. However, you do get a guy in Kyrie Irving that as much as we complain about who he is off the court or maybe some things that he says, you know, in the media or on social media, you can't deny that this guy is, you know, a top-tier talent in the NBA and you're going to need a guy to pair alongside with Luka Doncic because I, I don't know if Luka is going to be in the same position as a LeBron James from the respect of, Hey, listen, I can't keep, I can't keep doing this on my own. I, I, I'm going to need help. And it doesn't seem like, you know, Mark Cuban for the most part uh, throughout his tenure as the owner hasn't been able to get any sort of talent um, to come to Dallas you know, um, as far as like star players go. So to, to be able to get this with, you know, Kyrie Irving, I do believe that it's going to be interesting to see. Now, you know, is Mark Cuban going to say, hey, we're going to pay him a max, um, you know, at season's in, or we're going to talk contract extensions? Or is this, listen, we're going to we're going to see how this plays out. If Kyrie likes it here, we'll offer him a deal. Or if we go up in smoke, let's say the first round, maybe – Maybe we go somewhere else and we have cap space now to where we'll be able to garner some talent elsewhere. I mean, you're going to be very thin at the wing positions, especially defensively. Um, So, you know, you although you have two offensive juggernauts, you are sacrificing a lot of defense there. So definitely going to be interesting. Um, I, I was surprised that he asked for the trade to begin with, but. Now he's in Dallas. It's it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out with Kyrie and Luka, but that's probably going to be must-see TV as far as a backcourt in the NBA. You are from the state of California. You have Laker, purple and gold, flowing through your veins. Not the year they've wanted, certainly, 
Um, I know they thought they might be in the Kyrie Irving sweepstakes. It did not work out. But LeBron James is about to make NBA history. At the time, you and I are talking. He's 36 points shy of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. RJ, you're one of the biggest NBA fans I know. You and I had so many off-air conversations, uh, so I'm happy to be able to bring this stuff on air now. Uh, Just your thoughts on when LeBron breaks that record, how big a deal that'll be for the association. I think it's going to be a huge deal from the standpoint of, I I don't know, Hack. I don't know if anybody really thought that that record was ever going to be touched. I mean, you know, it speaks to how long LeBron's been into the league, but it also speaks on just his health and and how he's been able to take care of himself. He, He came into the league as a freak of nature at 18 years old, and now he's, you know, almost at 40, and he's still that same freak of nature that he was when he came into the league. Um, I don't know how this is going to play out. I, I've been thinking about it. Does Kareem go to the game? Um, you know, do they do they embrace? Does LeBron, you know, wave to the crowd if he does it in L.A. on Tuesday? Or does he do it in Milwaukee? And does he do the wave to the crowd? Is there going to be any bells and whistles that come with him breaking the record? This is going to be huge for the NBA. And I think this is going to be a record when LeBron James breaks it. I think this is going to stand for a very long time because I just don't know of any player in the NBA currently that's even going to be able to sniff what LeBron James has done as far as years in the league and being able to score at the clip that LeBron James has, even though you hear LeBron James say, I'm not a score first guy. I mean, come on. When he, when he came into the league, he had to bail out those Cleveland teams out of a lot of stuff. And, you know, he also did it uh, where he went on just that immense scoring run when he came back to Cleveland. So this is going to be very, very huge um, for the NBA because it's a record that I don't think anybody thought was going to be broken. And now, I mean, you're surpassing probably one of, you know, the top five players of all time in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and everybody's asking his opinion. And he said, hey, look, when I passed Will and, you know, when, when I passed his record, you know, Wilt wasn't too happy about it, but that was just speaking to the mini rivalry, I guess, that they had. But he said, listen, I'm I'm going to be more than happy to pass the torch to LeBron, and that's going to be something that he has to carry now. So I, I have to congratulate, congratulate LeBron James. And that's coming from a guy who's a Kobe guy himself, but you can't deny the greatness that LeBron James has showed throughout his career. And for this to kind of be the mantle, it, 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 it's very – very great that we're able to see this in our lifetime. RJ Saunders, 97.5 in Houston. RJ, we got 60 seconds to go. We'll do more of this in a couple of weeks, but a quick thought. We got a stud in Orlando, right, with Paolo Bancaro. I mean, that yes, guy sir. is a stud. Oh, my goodness. Listen, I, I, I think a little bit of Grant Hill, maybe a little bit of a mix of Tracy McGrady. And listen, this whole Orlando Magic team, has been able just to feed off of them. And, I mean, you have, it seems like, some great pieces put together with them. It's going to be interesting to see what Orlando does here in the next few years. But do I think that they're on the cusp of being a playoff team hacker? I'll say happy days are here again and playoff days are here again for the Orlando Magic. And I'm excited to see what they do, and I'm excited to see the star continue to rise 
for one Paulo Bancaro. Yeah, the guys that are 25 years of age or younger in Orlando. Wendell Carter, Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner, Paulo Bancaro, Bowl Bowl, and oh, by the way, the Magic have two first-round picks this year, and if the draft were today, Chicago's in the lottery, Orlando's in the lottery. You had two more lottery guys to that. It could be very good times ahead very shortly for the Orlando Magic. R.J. Saunders, formerly of here at 1010XL in Jacksonville. You hear him now on 97.5 FM out there in the city of Houston. R.J., it's been far too long. Thank you for the time, my friend. We'll do it again soon. Absolutely. Love you guys, man. And thank you to my friend R.J. Saunders, 97.5 FM radio out in Houston, Texas, for joining us here on Hacker After Dark. Of course, R.J., formally right here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. It's always interesting to get another perspective from another city. Houston now looks at Jacksonville as a blueprint, if you can believe that. How did the Jaguars rebuild? How did they do it? What kind of steps do we need to take to be like Jacksonville? It is just absolutely amazing how much can change about an organization, the perception of a team, all of that. And golly, since Thanksgiving you know you're talking three months less than three months the entire perception of the Jacksonville Jaguars has completely changed for the better well that'll just about wrap it up for what's been a very busy Tuesday night edition here of Hacker After Dark thank you guys for hanging out with us on our late night show every Tuesday 10 to midnight here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM we got a lot of people to thank again RJ Saunders 97.5 in Houston. Thank you to Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Alabama, a couple of new coordinators. Miami having to replace a couple of coordinators. Billy Napier will be here on the First Coast in Clay County to talk to the Clay County Gator Club during his speaking travels this offseason. And Florida's not the only one. Miami has a four-star corner. Ask out of his signed letter of intent, you got a feeling it's just the tip of the iceberg. That's now two high-profile players, one for Florida, one for Miami, that have asked out of their signed letters of intent after the fact. We'll see if that continues, but you got the feeling that it's going to continue, and it's probably going to get more and more uh, repetitive as we move along in the land of NIL in the world of college football. And thank you to Jeff Kerr, CBSSports.com. Of course, Super Bowl 57 on Sunday, the Chiefs and the Eagles. Absolutely cannot wait for that matchup. We will be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for staying up late with us here on a Tuesday on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday night, and we will talk to you on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.